Welcome, friend. We are so glad you've joined us to listen in as ordinary people share their extraordinary stories of how one man changed their lives forever. No two stories are the same, yet it's our hope that you'll relate enough to want to meet the same man all our listeners have met. Listen as my friends tell me about a man that gave them hope and love beyond their wildest imaginations. Cindy, John, welcome to the Tell Me About a Man podcast. I'm honored to be here. So we like to start off um, at first with a couple surprise questions, ones that you don't know are coming. Oh, fun. All right, chips and salsa or cake? Chips and salsa. All day, every day, right? Yes. You're my people. (laughs) You're my people. Running or walking for exercise? Walking. Walking. I am not a runner. I am not crazy. I like to walk. Let's just start off with a little bit about Simi and life growing up as Simi. Um, where are you from? What did that look like? So I was born in India. I was born in Kerala, India, which is a southern state in India. It's like kind of like, so India is a peninsula, so it is on the very tip of India. It's beautiful. It's close to the ocean, so it's green. I always say it feels like Florida. Mm. So it's very beautiful, very lush. Everything grows there. Um, and at the age of seven, I moved to Dallas, Texas, which is kind of the opposite. You know, it's kind of like a desert. It's flat. Uh, less green, more brown. <laughs> right, especially in the winter. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm a Texan. That's where I grew up. I went to school there, and then I went to uh, PT school. I'm a physical therapist um, in Philadelphia, so I lived there for three years and got to experience the big city life that I wanted to and a lot of snow, and I was like, okay, I want to go back to the south because I like watching snowfall, but I don't like digging my car out and scraping the ice. I didn't like that because, you know, I believe... If there's two inches of snow, you have the right to shut everything down and stay home, right? Enjoy. As all most Oklahomans do. <laughs> and so after that, I got married, um, and my husband's a pastor, so now we live in Oklahoma. And That's great. Yeah, we have two kids, and life is great. And he's from Oklahoma. Born and raised in Yukon. So was it different? Was it you mixing your um, geographical cultures, meaning, you know, from the snow, the heat, all of this to a guy who, I mean, actually in Oklahoma here, we have, what, five seasons right. all year round? Yeah. Like, you never know what season you're going to get? I don't think I was ready for the tornado weather. Mm. I didn't have that in Texas. Like, Dallas, I we didn't have, like, the sirens. We didn't have any of that. So I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what is going on? The siren. Yeah. And he was like, you don't have that? I was like, no. And so I think... Everything else I felt like I was ready for as far as weather, but not the tornadoes. Still don't like it. Still don't like it? No. Well, I I would find you not healthy if you did like it. Well, you know, it's weird. Like, all those weather people really like Oklahoma because of the they bad do. weather. And they so do. they get really excited. My husband, he hates going into the shelter. So mm. he's one of those people who stands outside until he sees the tornado himself. I am one of those people who, as soon as they're like, hey guys, take shelter, I'm in there. Like, No, I'm, I'm the curious person. Like, yeah. I'm like hanging out till I'm like, really? You're do, milky. Do we need? Yeah, you're weird. <laughs> See? Weird. <laughs> you just said it. It's unhealthy to it's like unhealthy it. Like it. <laughs> We're unhealthy people. We like the adrenaline. Okay. So, um, you know, the whole point of the co- podcast is just to discuss, you know, when you meant Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what was, what, what led up to your, um, meeting. 
Christ? Yeah, so that is a big question. So I mentioned I was born in Kerala, India. So, you know, Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, mm -hmm. Doubting Thomas, he actually came to Kerala, India. It always like blows my mind that he would come to like the southern tip of India. And I don't know how he ended up there, but he came to India and he would share the gospel and he would share the gospel with groups of people and at that time people would convert and they would build a church there with him and then he would move on to another town build another church and move on and it's believed that he built like seven churches in Kerala and one of the people that he partnered with to do that is my dad's great 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 what? grandfather yeah so I grew up knowing this great genealogy uh, and this great like rich Christian heritage that my family had so my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family they had a lot of priests they were very religious they weren't spiritual they weren't born again Christians they didn't have a relationship with Jesus they didn't even know what they meant but they went to church every Sunday they did all the stuff and so it was more of like a liturgy orthodox type of church that I grew up in and as a kid growing up I didn't really understand all of it and so my dad was actually a chef and so in India there's not a lot of job opportunities for that so he was in the Middle East and he worked in Saudi and so he would come to visit my mom my brother and I stay for a little bit and he would leave we always knew that he had a problem with alcohol because every time he would come there would be like a bunch of people there'd be a party he would drink and I remember even hearing my principal one time when he came to pick me up saying oh send her out he's drunk and wow. even though I didn't know what that meant as like a five-year-old six-year-old I could tell by their faces that it was something bad right but you know we just thought of it like oh he's here he's celebrating because he's visiting and he's seeing family right and then when we moved to Dallas when I was seven is the first time we lived together as a family and he was working in a five-star hotel in downtown Dallas, and that was the first time we realized how intense mm. his addiction was. Because you're with him now on the daily basis. Yes, and we saw a different side of my dad. My dad would stumble in like at 2 a.m. after work, and at that time there was like no cell phones, and so we're like worried. My brother would be, he's three years younger than me, so he's sleeping, I'm staying up with my mom. She would wake me up and it's like worry, like do you, where do you think he is? There's no cell phones, there's no way to get a hold of him. We have no idea. And this is a new land, this is a new place. We don't know anybody, and so my mom would just be worried, crying, waiting up for him, and then he would stumble in at 2 a.m. and she would just, you know, say something to him out of her frustration, and he would get angry, and their verbal would eventually turn to physical mm. abuse. Mm. And as a seven, eight-year-old, that was my normal, you know, seeing my parents fight and my dad beat my mom. And but as a seven, to... eight-year-old, this was the first time you had experienced that. Yeah. This wasn't like, mm -mm. it was always this way, so that's even more shocking. Yeah, yeah, and it's a new place, you know, it's it's like, what do I do? Um, and the funny thing is, like, my mom's side of the family, everyone's here. That's the reason we came to America, right? And so even though she had these brothers who live, like, two, 10 minutes from our house and her parents, our culture was one of where it's normal for men to beat their wives, mm -hmm. right? And you're married, and so you, that's your thing. You, you just do that. It's an honor-shame culture also, mm -hmm. so you're not going to go tell anybody, yeah. hey, this is happening behind closed mm -hmm. doors. So my dad would beat my mom, and I would pull him off my mom so he'd stop beating her, 
And I remember just sitting with her after all of it's over and she would just be like, I'm just staying alive for you guys. I'm mm. only staying alive and staying here for you and your brother. And there was a lot of pressure. What did you say, did that come with guilt? That was a lot of pressure. Cause, and, and I don't think I understood the gravity of those moments until you know, recently in my adulthood mm-hmm. um, when I realized why do I worry about everybody? Why do I feel like I have to fix everything? Mm. And it's rooted in those moments yeah. of I felt like I had to carry. Right. She was taking the beatings just to keep you alive and yeah. keep you safe. And I still feel wow. like I have to protect my mom, right? Wow. Um, I still feel like I have to please people and be the funny one so there's no fight, there's no conflict, and I have to be happy. And I still carry those wounds with me in that way. But I remember sitting there thinking like, man, this is this is horrible, but maybe this is how everyone's life is. I haven't been to anybody else's house. Like, I don't know what their lives are like. Maybe this is part of marriage. Maybe this mm. is what's normal. And every morning after that, um, I would go to school and my mom would tell me as I walked out, do not tell anyone that your dad beat me. Mm. Your dad can get in trouble and we don't want anyone to know what's going on in our house. And that's another level just of makes my pressure. Skin crawl. Like I'm, oh man. You know, mm. and I was just like, okay, yeah. this is not normal, but this is something that I have to carry as a secret with me every day. And that was my normal for years and years and years. And I wow. remember my grandfather, they were actually going to a Bible-believing church by then they had a relationship with Jesus and so their church had these little cottage meetings small group meetings and um, my grandfather invited us to one of them and my mom and I and my little brother we went and we're sitting together we're all sitting and people are praying and just singing songs and I had never you know grown up around that kind of a meeting how old are you at this point I think I'm like nine okay and I'm sitting there and I've never heard these songs. I've never seen or heard people pray because I grew up in an Orthodox church where it's more like there is a priest, you read the liturgy, you repeat after him, all that kind of stuff. So there was something that was different, but it wasn't weird. There was something in that room that I felt that day that told me that there is joy in this space. And I would mm. look at those people and I would sense peace. I would see joy. As a nine-year-old. As a nine-year-old. And without anyone sharing the gospel, uh, explaining what it meant to be saved or who Jesus was, something in my heart moved and shifted. And I remember sharing and saying this to that group of people, I don't know what you have, (laughs) and I know I don't have it, and I desperately need it. Mm. And I got saved that day, and my mom got saved that day. Again, not really truly understanding what it meant. Um, but nothing changed. Our lives were exactly the same. You know, everything was still horrible. Inside. So you've, in a, in a day, mm-hmm. you've felt joy. You've received peace, salvation from, through Christ. Yet you go home and there's still more beatings. Yeah. So be, becoming a believer didn't fix your problems. Right. Right. I think for me, that was the moment I felt hope. I felt like... There's something out there that I don't have that I can experience mm-hmm. because those people have that. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't know them, mm-hmm. they have that right now. Mm-hmm. There's something inside of them as they're singing, as they're worshiping, as they're praying. I could sense that 
deep in my spirit telling me there is something better. And I think that's what God was trying to do in that moment, mm. to just give me a glimmer of hope that, hey, this is, doesn't have to be your normal. This is not going to be your normal. Right. And so everything was the same. And then I think when I was around 10 or 11, um, my grandfather invited us to go to his church to see a water baptism. And so my whole family, we were baptized as babies. And so we had never seen an adult baptism. And so we're like, okay, that's interesting. And by then my dad had a restaurant and he was so busy. Sundays are the busiest days for restaurants. And so he was very religious. So he was just like, my kids are not going to sit home on a Sunday. They're going to go somewhere. So he let us go. And after the water baptism was over, they had a worship service. And during the worship service, so Indian church, boys sit separately than girls. And so I could see my brother in the corner of my eye. But specifically, I remember all of this because it was recorded, because it was a special service, because there was adult baptism happening, right? And so, or water baptism happening. And so I, I saw in the video, because the video got like zoomed in on my brother because my brother was standing there clapping his hands and just crying. He was about seven or eight. He was just weeping. And of course the pastor's like, why is this kid who is like a guest at my church crying? So he walks up to him and he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And so the cameraman zooming in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And my brother kept saying, I need Jesus. Oh, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And again, without anyone sharing the gospel, right. without anyone explaining what it meant to live for Jesus, know Jesus, be with Jesus, my brother accepted Jesus as personal savior. Mm -hmm. And my brother is young and he doesn't understand like the family dynamics and, and all the conflict that my in-law, my parents, my dad had with his in-laws, mm -hmm. right? Because my dad was just like, that's their church. That is not our church. And there was, this is all going on behind the scene, and I knew about it. So we told my brother, we're like, you cannot tell dad. Mom and I. Because it wouldn't have gone over well. No. Gotcha. It's like, mom and I have already experienced this. Now you experience this, but dad has not. And he is not going to be cool with this. So do not tell him because he's going to be mad at mom. He's going to be mad at So grandpa, one more grandma. secret for these little kids, you yeah. and your brother are seven and nine years old to carry around with you. Yes. Well, my brother was not good at keeping secrets because the next Sunday rolled around. It's great. And we got in the car and my brother was like, I want to go to grandpa and grandma's church. Oh, with your dad. Yes. Oh. And my dad literally beat us, got us in the car and he said, that is not our church. That is not where we're going. You guys are never going there again. Oh my gosh. And that was one of those moments I was like, oh. Now it's over. It's never going to yeah. happen. The hope I did have. You felt like it was ripped away. It's gone. Mm. Did that like instill any anger for you towards your dad? I was always angry at my Were dad. You? I was always angry at my dad because of what he did to my mom. Mm -hmm. But there was always glimmers of love that I saw in my dad. Because mm -hmm. there's one time when he was hitting my mom, as he took his hand off mm -hmm. of her, it came and touched me, my face. And just the force of that, he felt it. And he came to my bedroom that night, he was crying. He said, Simi, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm so sorry that, you know, you felt that hit. And I was just like, this man just beat my mom. Right, why are you sorry to me and not her also? Yeah, right. there was wow. this like difference that I saw in him when he was drunk 
and when he was sober, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so my dad was always like, when he was sober, he's like, oh, your mom's beautiful. Isn't she beautiful? She's, you know, like praising her and he loved her. But when he was drunk, the addiction was so strong that it, it was like he was a, a different person. A Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. And it's what it does, unfortunately. And for me as a kid, I didn't understand it, but mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, my dad is human because he feels bad for hitting me mm -hmm. accidentally. Mm. You know what I mean? And I was never scared of my dad in that sense. I was scared of him, what he would do to my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, there was always a sort of resentment and anger towards my dad in that sense, right? But this was more like, man, it's never going to get better. Mm. We're going to get stuck. We're, this is over. This is going to be normal. And my dad's business started failing. And he had no hope. He had to file for bankruptcy. And he was just stressed. And because of that, he started drinking more. Mm. And the problems were getting worse. And he knew he had to stop drinking because he was hallucinating. He was having all these other wow. health issues. And he went and saw a doctor and they were like, you need to go to rehab. So he checked into a rehab and they were like, hey, dude, you've been drinking since you were like 16 years old because there's no law in India for drinking, right? And How old is he at this point? He was, I want to say in his 40s. So a good 30 years yeah. of heavy drinking heavy drinking and he's been in you know around and that's that's what I understand now and he told me um, later in life is you know being in the food industry you're always around alcohol you are and mm -hmm. so it's a high-stress job everyone drinks and so he was to him he's been drinking forever and so he basically was struggling and went to rehab and they were like we cannot guarantee that you're going to get better um, wow this is going to be a long process and this is how much it's going to cost and he was like dude if i had that money right i, I wouldn't, wouldn't be stressed i wouldn't, I wouldn't be, be in the situation <laughs> so he the was vicious like, cycle yeah so he checked out of there and he came home and i could tell god was trying to soften his heart towards mm. god he was trying to, you know, help him see that, no, you can do this on your own. And nobody in this world is going to be able to help you either. Mm -hmm. Because my dad began to pray. Pray in a way that he knew, which in our Orthodox culture, you pray to saints and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the Catholic faith. And so he prayed these prayers that were on cards and books and liturgy, and he would pray. Um, and nothing was happening. And so, it, can I, a quick interruption, uh -huh. in the in the background, were you and your mom and your brother secretly um, studying scripture, praying no. over him? We had no idea. You weren't getting anything. No. So the thing with my dad is my dad had a temper. So people in the community who know my dad, which my dad, everyone kind of knew because he had a restaurant, he had a business and everything, they knew not to share the gospel with you stayed my away. family. They, if they wanted to... Yeah live to see tomorrow yeah. you stayed away exactly wow so no one shared the gospel with us we didn't know how to pray um we didn't know how to read the bible my mom read the bible but in the way she knew mm -hmm. so we just knew something was happening in his heart mm -hmm. and god had already kind of given us in our own specific time periods that hope to pray but not really verbally even know how to pray mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. Um, and so my dad was at the restaurant one day, he was just cleaning up and he sees this card, a business card, and it says reverend something. And so thinking it's one of like the priests from our church, he calls that number and he says, hey, can you pray for me? I'm dealing with all this stuff. 
I, I just need someone to pray for me. And the man on the other end says, I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor. And he was like, I don't care. Mm. I don't care at this point, I just need prayer. And so that pastor started coming to our house and sharing the gospel wow. with my dad. So he didn't just pray over the phone, like he invited him into yeah. the home. Because my dad was that desperate. Wow. And so he started sharing the gospel with him and some days my dad was pissed and he would just be like, I don't wanna hear that get out mm. that's not what i believe that's not what i was taught that's not part of my tradition right so you're wrong get out and we were like oh my gosh you can't talk to a pastor like right <laughs> we were so close yeah and i mean for months and months this pastor came week after week sharing the gospel wow. explaining like literally every question my dad had from scripture he would open it up and say okay this is what this means this is what this means and my dad was a person who read the bible seven times before wow right and he his eyes were just closed mm -hmm. and in this season of his life god began to the scales were falling the truth. yeah I, I, I love it and uh i mean i'm so grateful for that pastor's patience and perseverance right? to keep coming and that local body that pray for him during mm. this time, right? And so I, I deeply believe, even though my immediate family didn't know how to pray, that my grandfather was praying. Somebody was intervening. Because he knew. And, and I do, I believe that they knew the conflict that their sister was going through, mm. her brothers and sister, mm. you know? Her parents for sure for knew sure. the uh, uneasiness and the unhappiness that she felt. And they just felt like they couldn't do anything, you know, because mm -hmm. of that being in that shame honor culture, it was kind of just like, she's just stuck, you know? Mm -hmm. And all they could do was pray. All they could do was take him to Jesus and say, fix him. Right. Do something. Right, soften his heart. Yeah, and so uh, one October, um, my dad was kneeling on the ground and he said, I want this Jesus. And he accepted Jesus oh. as his personal savior. And everything changed. Everything changed for him. Everything changed for our entire family. And wow. so my dad uh, eventually became an evangelist traveling the world. He's actually going to Shut Florida up. next week. Yeah, oh to my gosh. God's word. He's been to Africa, the Middle East, different parts of India, Mexico. Phenomenal. He's a man of faith. Every Almost every other week I meet people that are like, man, your dad prayed for so-and-so. They couldn't have kids. Now they have two kids. And so he's a man of faith. He knows wow. the word more than anyone else I know. He loves he loves prayer. And um, my brother went on to become a pastor. I married a pastor. And so I always say my story, my testimony is one of restoration mm. because that faith and that love that my great, 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 great grandfather had for the local church to go and help plan this church with Thomas in the midst of persecution, mm. that was lost mm. through spirituality or religious, religiosity and through abuse and addiction now has been restored mm. back into my family through my dad and through my brother and through me and here we are serving the local church a restored legacy yeah. like truly that is amazing yeah. so this is the first time i've heard your story and i'm like trying not to tear up with you it's so good um and it does make me um we have some similarities in our past mm. and so obviously i have you know not just compassion but empathy for you also you used the phrase um, 
religions, mm-hmm. religious, not relationship, yeah, and Bible-believing church. Do you want to expand on that just for a little bit for mm-hmm. um, anyone who's listening who's like, I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Like, of course I'm saved. Yeah. I think there is a... I think it's really hard for people to understand the difference because when you are part of a church, um, and if you're really part of a church, then you feel like that's part of your identity and the traditions and the culture of the church become at times more important than the actual relationship that you have with Mm. Jesus that called you into it. The check boxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it becomes more about rituals. It becomes more about all the things that you have to do and more of like a self-help behavior modification, very much worked, work-based faith mm-hmm. rather than trusting in the finished work on the cross that Jesus has already done and living out your life as a response to what he's already mm-hmm. done. Right. And, and, it, love and, grace. and I don't think it's to say that we don't, I mean, we all get into certain, I hate to use the word traditions, but we all get into certain rhythms mm-hmm. within our own, even just in our own church body, um, Wednesday nights, mm-hmm. three songs, you sit down like, and we, we get that. I mean, sometimes we need some normalcy, some rhythm like that. Absolutely. Um, but just to be open and aware and use the discernment that God gives you that says, if you're just showing up just to go through the motions, yeah, you need to check yourself. Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes it's even more than that. Like, so I'm Indian. I was born in India, so I have brown skin. And so when I meet people in Oklahoma sometimes and I tell them I'm Christian, they're like, oh, when did you convert? And I'm like, you know, Thomas. And I tell them the whole story. Right. <laughs> I was always a Christian. And I ask them the same question because just because your skin color is different doesn't mean that you are Christian. Right. right? And I think there is a tendency for people to think because of their geographical location, because they're in Oklahoma and because we're in the Bible Belt. Yes. We're in the Bible Belt. Of course you're safe. Yeah. You're a Christian. Exactly. So I think it's easy for us to think that. People are Christian because of the way they look. Mm-hmm. People are not Christian. Because of because, the way they look. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone needs Jesus. Amen. You know. If you're breathing. Don't assume, yeah. Don't assume that someone is not Christian. Someone is, um, you know, religious or whatever. I, I think it's important because it helps you open up and really just share the gospel with whoever is in front of you. What would you say to someone who is a born again believer mm-hmm. and you know as, as we say in the in the beginning of the podcast that every story is unique mm-hmm. someone who's listening has a very unique story what encouragement would you give them to share their story mm. i think stories are so powerful mm. um i share i share my testimony often with people um and i and they cry they cry because they resonate with it mm-hmm. it might not be exactly the same but they have experienced brokenness Mm -hmm. by humans that they loved, Mm -hmm. that loved them. And there is something so powerful about when I share my story that makes you want to share your story. And then all of a sudden we have a relationship because that vulnerability, that empathy that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. opens up the space of friendship. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's mm-hmm. that me too. I've exactly. been there. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the reason that it is so powerful. That's why in Revelation we read that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, right? Because the enemy doesn't want us to have a relationship. He doesn't want us to talk to each other. And he's winning. Look at our world. Right. Right. And so he wants us to stay divided. He wants us to have unhealthy relationships and hold grudges and be in categories and be divided so that we will never talk about our story. Mm. Because if I shared my story with you, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, because there's no denying my story. You can say Jesus isn't real, but you can't deny my story. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Your experience. Yeah. My, my dad was an alcoholic, and even after he got saved, he was an alcoholic. He stopped abusing my mom. He struggled with addiction still. And the moment that Jesus became more real than ever is one day he was sitting at his restaurant, and he called the pastor, and he said, I just can't stop drinking. I, just I want to. I yeah, want I want to stop. And I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm going to church, but I still have this addiction, mm. this bondage over me that I cannot shake. And I know I need to, and I want to. And so the pastor asked my mom to bring a glass of water. I was 13, my brother is 10. We're just standing there, kids watching what's going on. And my pastor said, I'm going to pray over this glass of water. And he prayed over the glass of water. He said, we're just going to pray against every addiction. Um, every bondage that you would walk in freedom and that you would be free and i watched my dad drink that entire glass of water and never touch alcohol again wow what a miracle that was the moment where i was like jesus is real right because i know my dad everyone needs to know about this because this is real (laughs) y'all that made me want to read scripture that made me want to dig through and know this man who changed my Mm. dad's life and literally in front of my eyes transformed Mm. him to become a good husband to become the father i needed right and i can't i cannot share that when i know that there's people out there that are struggling and when i share that story it empowers someone else to believe for their situation Mm -hmm. because often we read those stories in the bible and we're like Oh, that's awesome. Jesus did those miracles. And it's easy for us to believe that. But when it comes to our own situation, we don't have the faith to believe that. Yeah, we think they're just feel-good stories. Yeah. Yeah. I I had someone tell me that they're just feel-good stories. And And when I share my story, though, you can't deny that. Exactly. You can't deny that. And so that's why we need to share our stories. Amen. I love that. What have you um, walked through in your adult life that... um, seemed hopeless or at least even the world said it was hopeless that had it not been for your relationship with Jesus Mm. it would have been hopeless and you don't have to get too specific if you don't want to or you know just you know just something Mm -hmm. that because your struggles were early on yeah and you know then you know Jesus comes in and saves your whole family was it you know sunshine and rainbows for the last 20 years of your life? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I always say, like, in the beginning of my relationship with Jesus, it felt like that. It was kind of like honeymoon. I love it. Literally every, I would tell everyone I'm I'm God's favorite. I would. (laughs) (laughs) Because I would pray and it would come to pass. And I'm just like, man, and for the smallest things. 
right? And everyone's like, you are God's favorite. I was like, I told you. I would tell people, don't mess with me. I'm God's favorite. I believed it. Like, I mean, if you mess with me, God will get you, you know? I felt like every prayer I prayed, and I think God did that to build my faith because Mm. as I got more into adulthood, I had to wait a little longer. Mm. I had to pray a little harder. And I, w- I had to lean back on those moments where God showed up and I had to be like, he showed up then, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I know he's going to show up now. I'm just going to have to cling on to him a little closer, yes, a little longer. Yes. And so uh, there are a lot of moments where I have felt, man, this is hopeless. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. So there are so many examples I can give you. But one of the um, most, I think, the hardest seasons that I had to walk through in my career was a couple of, I would say like six years ago, I had just a, just a boss that didn't like me. And I think we all have that, at least one, one boss that doesn't like We're us. We've all been there. <laughs> and if you haven't been, you will be. You will be. <laughs> and just wanted to pick on me and just, I, I just felt like they were just trying to push me out because I was, you know, high up and they were like, hey, we can just replace her with a new grad and make, you know, more money for the clinic. And I hated going to work literally every single day. I would cry and I love my job. I was pregnant. I was like on the verge of tears every single day and I had to put on a smile because I was a leader and I had to pretend and I, I was like, I have to be Jesus and I just have to be a doormat and take this because I want people to see that I'm a person full of grace, just like Jesus. I would turn the other cheek and I hated every moment of being there. Mm. and I prayed and I looked for other opportunities to get out and God was like nope nope in fact when I was on maternity leave I prayed and I looked I mean for any opportunity even outside of being a physical therapist I was like wow. I will go anywhere desperate because I am that desperate right and I, I the verse that God gave me during that season was hold your position and I was like why <laughs> that's what I wanted and so, but I want a new position <laughs> <I know. laughs> So I was like, all right, God, I'm going to hold my position. So I went back after my maternity leave, and I was just like, I'm just going to try to make her happy, and I'm just going to make her like me. You know, I'm a pretty likable person. So I have favor with God. Yes. She has to. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just going to say yes to everything she wants, and nothing really changed. You know, she was still mean, and I was just like, all right, this still sucks. But God told me, hold my position, so I'm going to stay here. And um, one day she asked me to go to a conference and she was like, hey, we we need a leader to represent our clinic. And so can you go because the other leaders have other stuff going on. So it wasn't even like you're a leader. It was like every other leader's busy. Can you go? Can you go? (laughs) And I was like, of course. You're my last choice. Yes. I was like, of course I can go, right? I have to say yes because I have to make her like me. I didn't know how I'm going to make it work. I am like pumping throughout the day. If I go to this conference, I'm like, how am I going to do that? Right. And, but I had to say yes. And so I get this, um, the, you know, the flyer for the conference and I noticed the person who was the speaker, I had interviewed with them a long time ago. So I reach out to him and I say, Hey, I'm super excited to learn from you. I'll be at this conference. Nice. And he said, Hey, are you still interested in working for me? I was going to say, I feel like I see where this is going. <laughs> that is great. And I was like, uh, yes. And he was Play like, it cool. Yeah, Play it cool. I know. Play it cool. <laughs> don't, don't act desperate. And so I was like, okay, yes. And he says, okay, come meet me at the clinic and let's chat. So I go over there. He's like, I don't have anything open right now, but I want you to come on. So he creates a position for me to come on. 
and I start there and it was like I was supposed to be there aligned with my values like the culture of and the team everything was just perfect and I remember like a couple of weeks later going to a continuing education class and meeting someone that was another leader with the previous employer that I had and they were just telling me how bad everything was about the turnover and I was like yeah and I was like yeah sorry about you (laughs) and then I was driving to church the next day and the Holy Spirit reminded me of that moment and he said why were you so happy that things are bad over there and I said because I want everyone to know that she's a jerk and it wasn't just me quitting and I I want them to see her real side and the Holy Spirit said don't you see how I used her to open up this door for you where you love your job wow and I was like what yeah God it's the Bible says about Exodus it, it's as how God hardened the Pharaoh's heart in the right time mm-hmm. he allowed the children of Israel to go mm-hmm. right and I think I had to understand that I had to understand that God's purposes for me are always good that the same God that said hold that position was faithful to me and gave me grace and was preparing my heart preparing my character and doing a work moving the puzzle pieces for me to step into the right place at the right time and that's also favor I had to walk through the hard season right but he was with me right and he was carrying me and I felt stuck but I was actually held and unfortunately, it takes us, like, hindsight to mm-hmm. go, okay, God, I see where you were. Yeah. I get it. That was actually my prayer yesterday was show me right now. Like, I don't want to wait until five years down the road yeah. to see that you work, were working five years ago. I know you're working, but I also kind of want to see it. Yeah. Um, and so I love your transparency. You're always so good. And you make me I'm like oh yeah because I would have been happy about that also and then I would have felt bad about it so I'm glad someone else is there too um so as we wrap up one final word of encouragement or invitation to someone listening if you're listening today I would say hold on to hope I would say God is faithful he is good I think if there's one thing that the enemy wants us to believe is the lie that God is not good. He did that in the garden and he's still spreading the same lie into the lives of believers. Adam and Eve walked with God. They knew God. They were with God. They had this great fellowship with God. And the number one lie that he says is, hey, he's not telling you everything, Mm. right? He's holding back. And if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like him. They were made in his image. They were already like him. Right. And he causes them to believe this lie that he is not good. And I think he is doing that in the life of every believer. I know it in my heart. And I have to fight that lie. And every situation that I face, whether good, bad, the unknown, what I cling to to give me hope is always the truth that I know that God is good. I know that God is good. Amen. And everything he does is good. And that's all I need to know. I don't need to know. I don't need to see good things happen right now. Mm. I don't need to know any of that. I just need to know that God is good. Mm. So good. So good. (laughs) Well, Simi, thank you so much. We say every single one is unique, and I have no doubt that it's going to bless someone tremendously. 
and do huge things for the kingdom. Thank you so much for having me. My dear friend, I want you to know that this man Jesus, my guest spoke of, is relentlessly pursuing you at this very moment and longs to love you unconditionally, no matter your story. There's no fancy prayer or special words, just believe, trust, and surrender. We've listed several free resources in the show notes to help you begin your relationship with Jesus and to walk in His truth and love today and for eternity. And to my brothers and sisters, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you to continue to pray for our guests and all who listen to this podcast and to go tell others about a man that changed your life forever.